0: Loving Father, uh, we praise you because you are indeed faithful. And uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we uh, gather this morning to be fed and nurtured by your word, we pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and lead us in the way of repentance and faith in your son. And we pray this for all your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, good morning again. Uh, we come together to be fed and nurtured uh, through the scriptures this morning. Uh, we, Our core value is biblical preaching. And of course, as we engage with this uh, psalm like Psalm 12, it affords the opportunity to uh, look at a passage of scripture that is often neglected uh, and even ignored. Uh, you won't find this psalm... In uh, many liturgies, Uh, it's set aside because no one knows what to do with it. Uh, And we're going to look at some of these psalms over the next few weeks. Uh, You just wait until next week. Oh boy. Psalm 137, but more of that next week. Uh, But I hope you have your Bibles open. And with all that in mind, I hope you look forward to engaging with Psalm 12. I want to start by asking you... uh, who your favourite spin doctor might be. A spin doctor. Maybe it's a TV personality like Carl or Koshy. Or maybe it's a politician. Or I won't mention names there at all. Or maybe it's the advertisers. We, I mean, we know what a spin doctor is, don't we? They use words for a living. And they try and get an outcome, whether it's for good or evil. And they spin words around, don't they, to make them sound more attractive. And smooth words, uh, but sometimes their words, as attractive as they sound, uh, can prove to be empty. Uh, Big question this morning. Uh, What can God's people do when the spin doctors seem to win? When those with big mouths reek. Ruination. Times are bad when we don't know who we can trust or what we can believe. Which brings us to Psalm 12. Did you notice in verse 1, all of God's people have disappeared. God's faithful are gone, they've vanished. Where are they? Who knows? Those who are godly and faithful have been taken away or they died. And those who are left, maybe they've sadly degenerated and were not what they once were. Maybe this is David singing about Saul's court. There's no, no one to be found there. Or maybe he's just having an Elijah moment, if you know that story. Maybe David's just saying the times are really, really bad. And that there is such a decay in society of virtue and integrity and justice. Maybe David's just having a really bad day. And so he cries out, help, Lord. One thing is for sure, God's people seem to have no voice. Verse 1, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Wow, what a statement. Uh, open doors, if you know open doors, they believe 200 million Christians. That's right, 200 million Christians the world over are without a voice such is the level of persecution in the places they live. Who will speak for them? About a million Christians have disappeared from the Middle East since the Iraq War. It won't be them. Or the Pakistani family uh, that were killed at the hands of ISIS uh, over the Easter weekend. You probably didn't hear about it. But who will speak for them? And if you think, Uh, this isn't a thing for us, then look up the Ruddock inquiry into religious freedom of speech. 16,000 submissions have been made. Some think our religious freedoms are a threat to society's good order and a threat to the well-being of others. Israel Folau's ill-considered comments this week played into that drama and they were unfortunate and the media have fed on it with great delight. Yet others believe such censorship betrays any claim to tolerance and inclusion. I mean, I'm not sure we've ever been great at accounting for diversity and it seems to be getting worse. So it goes like this, unless you bought into the slogan, love is love, which by the way, I think is a masterful piece of spin-doctoring, but as a proposition, I think it's completely bogus. Unless you agree, then your employment prospects in some quarters will be limited. Positions of leadership will be scrutinised. Clergy, like... Those in Tasmania will be brought to anti-discrimination commissions. The Christian presence in the places of our education will be outlawed and will all be censured, lest we offend the sensibilities of others. Society, apparently, would be better off if we all just gave up and disappeared. So who will dare speak? Well, let's come back to the psalm. Verse 2, everyone lies to their neighbour. They flatter with their lips, but harbour deception in their hearts. Here is the social trend. Here is empty talk and flattery and smoothness and deception and lies. And they're everywhere. And you know it's a problem when even the neighbours are doing it, right? That's what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says we have a society saturated with lies. And we only need to think about advertising to demonstrate that. Well Was there a slogan that said, Coke adds life? Do you remember that? I should be 150 by now if that's true. Uh, I don't think it's actually added a day of life to my life. In fact, it's probably taken a few days. Yep, sorry about that. Uh, What about uh, when we're looking at the newspaper and uh, the airlines, the travel agents, are advertising holidays? Why is it that every price has a little asterisk next to it? It's always qualified. It's because the price they're advertising is subject to lots and lots and lots of conditions. It may as well say $1.00 subject to conclusions. Is that right? Or men's deodorant ads. Uh, They should carry disclaimer, deodorant does not cover up male ugliness. In real life, uh, women may probably still be repelled by you. (laughs) All ads for superannuation should say, couple in this ad with this home and this car and this boat started saving in 1957. Politicians? (laughs) Politicians? <laughs> who said carbon tax or mining tax? Who said GST? And then not GST, and then GST. And then, sadly, clergy, of course, are not immune. Two words, royal commission. Or Kent Hughes tells a story of a pastor who needed $2,000. So what did he do? He asked more than 25 other pastors and he raked in $50,000. Everyone lies. Everyone lies. Their flattering lips speak with double-mindedness. And so the times are really bad when we don't really know who we can trust or who we can believe. What do we do when things seem to be like this? It can be overwhelming when the spin doctors seem to be winning what are we to do we we'll look at verse 3 look david speaks here's a clue as to what we do he prays may the lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue those who say by our tongues we will prevail our own lips will defend us who is lord over us Uh, An earlier translation, the NIV, 1984, was a little more literal, actually. It says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. That sounds savage, doesn't it? Are you disturbed by that? Does David really, really, literally expect God (coughs) to join the Razor Gang? Or is this... David expressing the deep intensity of his outrage. His angst stems from this situation that he cannot control. He feels abandoned and alone. And by his estimation, the people of God have disappeared. He feels the enemy overwhelmingly has the upper hand here. And he just wants them to shut up. And so there's raw emotion here, absolutely which is another lesson for us this morning. David prays, but notice the license he has for the full spectrum of emotions. He doesn't hold back. And I think that's one thing to love about the Psalms, that it gives license to that. That as we engage with God, don't hold back. Let him have it. And so why the outrage? Well, his outrage isn't against God, it's against others, so that's worth noting. David's angst stems from something he cannot control, such as the power of words. These people have no regard for God. They have no regard for his dominion, no regard for his authority. Uh, they make up their own rules, they're their own masters. They have no regard for God's kingdom. Uh, these people are shallow, aren't they? using flattery for their own end, and often for the ruin of others. They're the words of the conceited, the overconfident, the proud, the arrogant, and the insolent. Quite literally, these people are flipping the bird at God. And David is as mad as all get-out about it. And what is their weapon? Well, their weapon is their mouth. Their tongue, someone, verse 4, someone translated verse 4, our lips will be our blade. Yuck. So David prays, dear God, verse 3, please make this stop. Remember, as David prays, his prayer is not, his prayer is a declaration of what the Lord must do, not what he or others should do important difference remember David here he represents the minority the oppressed the weak the voiceless these are like groans these words and he's asking to uh, God to act and to intervene he's saying dear God please make this stop dear God we are without a voice we are vulnerable we are silenced Please make it their experience instead. Now, I wonder how you're feeling about this at this point. Maybe you love this. Maybe you're a little nervous. Maybe you're asking, I wonder if Jesus would pray this. Uh, It's a good question to ask when we get to the Psalms. John 8 is interesting. You could look at verses 43 to 47 later on today. We don't have time this morning. But I want to say to you, there's no doubt Jesus can identify with this psalm because we need look little further, I think, than the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, we pray every other day, don't we? And we're always praying, Your kingdom come, aren't we? And I think this is a Your kingdom come kind of prayer. When we ask for God's kingdom to come, we are asking for God's rule. To be fully established in the world. Which means doing away with any other kingdom that sets itself up against God. It's a cry for kingdom values like justice and righteousness. And we know that when God does bring in his kingdom fully at the end of world history, we know, don't we, that sin and evil and wickedness will be done away with. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And because God is good, he will do away with sin. And because he is just, he will finish what Jesus has secured and started. And so we cry, your kingdom come. And those who are masters of their own kingdom, those who say in verse 4, who is Lord over us? Those who thumb their noses at God... Well, we know the scriptures are clear. It'll all go to hell and death will be crushed and sin and evil will be done away with forever. And what else will happen at the end of history as Christ's rule is fully and finally established? What else will happen? Well, it's quite amazing because in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, it says that there will be silence. For about half an hour. And so we can see that one way or another, David's prayer will be answered as Christ's kingdom comes in. Isn't that incredible? In contrast to the lies and deceit of the world, this must be good news. Don't we believe that we have uh, good news don't we believe that we have a better word to speak and a better word to share? Isn't this what we find confirmed in the next verse? Verse 5, do you see it there? Verse 5, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible like gold refined seven times. Do you see what the word God's words are like? His words are flawless. Psalm twelve are words that are flawless. The Gospels are words that are flawless. The epistles, all of Scripture. There is no dross, there's no impurity in God's word. God's word has been through a rigorous quality testing this psalm says and so here is a better word and here is a better voice the idea that God's word has been purified seven times means that God's word is completely and perfectly without flaw which means that you can completely and utterly and absolutely rely on the Lord's word which is wonderful. I see Bibles open in people's laps. You believe it. And God's people groan here. Notice. God is responding. It says that he will rise up. And he will act. When we are growing up. And dad got up. Out of his chair. We knew something was going to happen. Especially if the children. Were having a lark or. Maybe my sisters were squabbling. They did that. And if Dad got up out of his chair, oh man, it was game over. (laughs) It was game over. Here, verse 5, do you see God arise? He gets up out of his seat. Like where to uh, pay attention to that and to heed that. See him arise. And in fact... We know that this side of the cross, we know he's done that, he has acted. And because we know he has, doesn't this mean we have a better word that we can speak into this world? Maybe you've been wondering as we look at Psalm 12 what we do with our love of the enemy as Jesus commanded. And isn't this how we do it? Isn't this the answer? That we have this better voice. We love the enemy, yes, because this is how God first loved us. But but we don't love the enemy by saying, oh, whatever makes you happy. We don't love the enemy by saying, oh, just be true to yourself. We don't love the enemy by accommodating their injustices or their immorality or their wickedness. That's not how we love the enemy where everything is permissible and anything goes. No, we love all people with the truth of the gospel. Irrespective of gender or race or sexuality, the gospel is for all people. And the gospel is good news. We point people to the one, the perfect one, who himself is the better word. The one who embodied it, yet he endured mockery and ridicule and lies and deceit, even at the cross as he died, didn't he? The one who loves us so much that he would sooner die for us, he would sooner die for his enemies than see them lost forever. That we might be forgiven and that we might find Not rage against God, but grace and mercy and peace and love and forgiveness. Isn't that where we start? And so when people in their arrogance, verse 4, declare, Who is Lord over us? We can say with great delight and joy that Jesus is. Jesus is Lord over us. Because of last Sunday, you know, seven days ago, Because God himself, he rose, didn't he? He rose, God acted, and so now we can say Jesus is Lord, and so the invitation to all people, the invitation is to repent and to believe that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. The invitation is to respond in faith and obedience today, (laughs) lest God get up out of his seat again and of course we know he will when Christ returns and all will be silenced verse 7 how do we get on in the meantime verse 7 you Lord will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honoured by the human race here is how we get on. This is what life is like, isn't it? Now, verses 1 to 4 are true. This, this is how the world is. And we don't know how bad our troubles will get, as the wicked strut about, as the vile are honoured. As long as the world stands, there will be a generation of proud and wicked people who threaten to ruin God's people. But God will keep us. That's the promise. And instead of taking things into our own hands, the great encouragement for us is to give it to God. We are to be on our knees in prayer. When God's people are mocked in the political arena or condemned for wanting scripture in schools or laughed at as fodder for comedians or ignored internationally, we have a God that we can go to and we can ask him to redress all of our grievances. And the promise is, he promises to keep and protect those who belong to him. The Lord knows who are his. We, his people, are built on the rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we get on. We get on by knowing that where people are false, God is anything but God is faithful where people are not trustworthy we remember that God is trustworthy where people are filled with hatred we remember that God is love where the words of people are conceited the words of God are pure and sincere and of great value and so we thank God that things are not worse than they are and not worse than they appear to be. And with those assurances, we press on until Christ comes back in all his glory, and when his kingdom comes in all its fullness. And in the meantime, we hold on to his word, don't we? His promises, this better word, a better word, a perfect word, and we do it like our eternity hangs on it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we live in our world where it seems like increasingly your people are marginalised and have little or no voice, whilst those opposed to you seem to have the upper hand. And Father, there is so much persecution, oppression and violence in our world against Christians. But we ask who speaks? Father, sometimes we don't know who or what to believe. So we ask that you'd give us discernment and wisdom. There are those in our world who are openly hostile to you and your people, Father. Their words incite hatred and violence and oppression on your people. And so, gracious Father, we ask that you would cause their mouths to cease, that you would make them silent. We pray that you would rise up and protect believers throughout the world. Father, we pray that you would please deliver us from evil. As our brothers and sisters are persecuted, may we be followers of Jesus who speak. Give us all, Father, a firm trust in your promises. Help us to be people that proclaim the good news as indeed good news. Help us to hold fast to Jesus with great assurance that we would seek his kingdom first. Help us to value and trust your word above any other word. Help us to persevere as we await the coming of your kingdom in all its fullness. We pray this in Jesus' name and all for your glory. Amen.